I want to begin by reflecting on that Old Testament passage that was read to us from Genesis chapter 16. And there we meet an African slave woman called Hagar from Egypt. And she is given by her mistress, Sarah, to Abram to be used to produce an heir. She's completely powerless. She is the victim, her too. And she conceives and is rightly resentful to her mistress for having used her in this way as a mere chattel. And Sarah goes and complains to Abraham. She says, I gave you my slave, but my slave now disrespects me. Abraham's response is completely unacceptable. He says, she's your slave. You do to her as you see fit. And then the text tells us that Sarah abused and misused Hagar. The word in Hebrew that is used is or nor. It means to oppress, to inflict, and to humiliate. Hagar is young and pregnant and powerless and terrified. And she flees into the desert, wondering what on earth has happened in this terrible, oppressed state. Suddenly, this figure appears. And God sends an angel to her. God has seen her. God has heard her. And God comes to her. And God speaks tenderly to her and gives her comfort and instruction and shows her that he is with her and that he has a future and a hope and destiny for her. And so she returns but everything is different because of that encounter. And our reading, our text shows that she then names this God who came to her and who spoke to her. And she names this God El Roy, the God who sees. He's the God who sees. He's the God who cares. He's the God who comes. And he's the God who acts. He's the God who sees. And the first thing I want us to think about this morning on this Nation Sunday is that Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. Numerous times throughout the Gospels, we read this simple clause, Jesus saw. He saw that person. He saw that individual. He saw that crowd. He is the God who sees. And he sees you, right where you are, wherever you are, however you are today. Jesus saw Nathaniel sat under the tree, and he saw into his nature and character, and he saw that he was without guile. Jesus saw the men fishing and mending nets, and he said to them, come, follow me. And they left their nets behind, and they followed him. He saw the mourners as they were grieving at the loss of a loved one. He himself was moved with compassion. And then with the authoritative word, he raised the dead and handed them back to their family. He saw the lame man 
And he saw behind the presenting issue to the real issue, which was sin. And he forgave that individual's sin. And when questioned, he said, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, he then healed that lame person. And he saw the crowd. He saw that they hadn't eaten. And he said, feed them. And they fed 5,000. And he saw the widow offer her two mites. And he saw that it was all that she had to live on. And he saw the crowd following him who he said were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he felt compassion for them. And he saw Peter who denied him three times. And he forgave him and restored him. Many of those who Jesus saw were unseen by others, ignored, passed over. But Jesus saw, and Jesus cared, and Jesus moved towards them, and Jesus transformed their situation. Jesus saw what others didn't see, and he saw people in a way that others didn't see. He is Elroy. He is the God who sees, and he sees you today. Preeminently, Jesus sees us and acts for us at the cross. And there, the loveliest life the world has ever known is hoisted high. And he who knew no sin becomes sin for us. And through his searing agony, he sees us. In fact, he's there precisely because he sees and cares and acts and is moving towards us. He saw the centurion before him and the, the Roman guard who had minutes before crucified him. He saw them. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's unfathomable. How extraordinary is that? He saw the two thieves beside him pouring out verbal bile against him. And then one of them sees him and he sees, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's never too late to see Jesus and to receive entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He saw his mother and John the beloved at the foot of the cross. And he says, mother, this is your son. Look after him. And he says to John, John, this is your mother. You look after her. There, dying in agony on the cross, he's thinking of them and caring for them. The whole thing is about the other because he sees them. He sees the disciples at a distance who denied him and run away on that fateful night. And he knows that he will see them again in glory and commission them and restore them and send them out. He sees the Pharisees and the, describe, and the scribes at a distance, those who schemed and plotted and manipulated to put him there on the cross. And when he prays, Father, forgive them, they're included in that prayer too. And he sees the city walls and the city gate that he had carried the cross out of. And he sees the temple at that very hour. Can he see from his exalted position, the high priest going in to sacrifice the Passover lamb. And he can see 
the very courts of the Romans where he, hours before, was mocked and humiliated and scourged and set up and set upon. And he can see the Mount of Olives where he was betrayed and where one day he will come down and return and take his place as king of Zion. He can see. He can see. The writer to the Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, even in the midst and throes of agony, even as he who knew no sin becomes sin for us and takes the punishment for our sin, the whole thing is him seeing. God who sees. He's the God who sees and he's the God who suffers for us to break all sin and all suffering. And here's the amazing thing. I want you to underline this in your minds today. He sees you. And hung on the cross, he sees you. And he's there for you. He saw you from afar. And he loved you. He sees us from afar. And he loves us. That's the first thing I wanted to share on this Nations Sunday. God sees. He sees it all. He sees all. And he sees through the eyes of love. Secondly, we need to see as Jesus sees. Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes and see. The fields are ripe to harvest. Things are ready. People are ready. They're looking and longing for God. Now is the time. Look, see. In our gospel reading, we read that Andrew and another disciple saw Jesus and they followed after him. Jesus saw them, said, what do you want? They said, where are you staying? He said, come and see. And they went and saw. They saw where he was staying. They saw him. They saw what he saw, and immediately they returned. And the first thing that Andrew does is to tell his brother, we've seen him, we found him, the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. We need to see. We need to see. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Jews, has never merely been a territorial and parochial and national and racial God. The God of Abraham, the God of Sarah, he saw them in their acting of injustice, but he had a future and a purpose through them. But he also saw that African, that Egyptian slave woman, and he cared for her. He was the God who appeared and spoke to Abraham and Sarah, but he also appeared and spoke to Hagar. All the world has always been God's stage. And it's always been his aim to bless the world and to be there for them. God's creation of the world, his love for the world, Jesus' death for the world shows us that the Judeo-Christian religion has never been a, a, a mystery religion. It's never been something that's esoteric and niche. He's God of the world, and Jesus dies for the world, 
And this is a church for the world. You know, 80 times in John's gospel alone, it mentions the word world. In just that one little gospel, 80 times. Nearly 700 times in the Bible, it talks about nation or nations. 700 times. This book written by this particular and peculiar people from this little scrub land in the ancient Near East talks about the nations hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. 37 nations are mentioned in the Bible. God always saw the world. And we need to follow his gaze. We need to follow the gaze of Christ from the cross. We need to follow his gaze into the world. You know, there's an early legend that says that the 12 apostles, uh, after the resurrection and ascension, cast lots to, to sort of decide where in the world who was going to go, where, where, where each individual apostle was going to be assigned a place to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And legend tells us that Andrew saw as far as Turkey and Greece, and he went there and was crucified there. Thomas saw as far as India, and there he was speared to death. Philip saw as far as Carthage in North Africa, and there he was stabbed to death by the Roman proconsul because he had led his wife to Jesus. Matthew saw as far as Ethiopia and was martyred there. Bartholomew saw as far as Armenia and also southern Arabia. There he was martyred. James saw as far as Syria and he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot saw as far as Persia. John saw as far as Ephesus. Amazing! They got it. They saw the one who sees. And they saw what the one who sees sees. The world. And they followed his gaze. And they went to tell the world about Jesus. Most of those disciples... Most of those apostles had never been more than 30 miles away from their home in their life. But when the Spirit comes, when God fills your life, when you have a vision of Jesus, then you cannot but go. You are compelled to go. 35 years ago, I was a young Christian, just a young man, aged 20, and Charlie Cleverly, former rector here, uh, visited our church. He was a young man then, and he prayed for me. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Never experienced anything like it. God met with me, and I was overwhelmed, and I fell to the floor, and there wave after wave of God's love and his power filled me. And Charlie prophesied over me at that time. He said, you're going to be a preacher. I thought, okay, I, I'm lying there. I think, I can, yeah, I can get that. And he said, you're going to go to the nations. I thought, what? I'd never been to a foreign country. I'd never been on a plane. I'd hardly been out of Bristol. That was honestly a big day out going up to Bristol from Somerset. And God met me. And here, Decades later, I think, all these countries that I've had the privilege to go to and meet with all these saints and preach the gospel. See, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're compelled to go and tell others. Many have followed God's, God's gaze and gone. A third of the world today is Christian. 
But that means that two-thirds of the world aren't. They need to hear. They need to see Christianity lived. They need to hear it preached. And they need to experience God's love. Who's going to tell them? I mean, if not us, who? I mean, who? This church is a missions church. It's in our DNA. We've already heard we're a house of prayer for all nations. And we seek to have Jesus known in all nations. You know, nearly 100 years ago, Lawrence of Arabia's mother and brother were sent out from this church as missionaries to China. Isn't that fab? Lawrence of Arabia used to come to Sunday school in this church. He didn't go and become a missionary, but he had an interesting career in the Middle East. But this is a missions church. It's what we do. Why? Because we read God's word. We try to take hold of God's heart. and We try to respond to what he's saying and doing. In our window, we heard earlier on in the stained glass window, we've got a picture of Jesus with his feet on the world. One thing I'd add to that picture is Jesus with the, heart, with the world in his heart. It's not just his feet, but it's his heart. And then we've got the missionaries there. Philip, who went and shared the gospel in Samaria and down in the desert towards Egypt with the Ethiopian eunuch. And we've got Paul, who preached in Asia Minor in Europe. And then we've got Bishop Hannington, who went to Uganda to preach the gospel, built a cathedral there. They martyred him. And we've got Henry Martin, a great Cambridge mathematician and don, who left that academic career in order to be a Bible translator in Persia and India. This is a missionary church. Every church should be a missionary church. How far can you see? And then lastly, we need to see beyond ourselves. The problem is, often we can't see the other because we're focused in on ourselves. And Jesus told the church in Laodicea, I counsel you, get eye salve. Put it on your eyes so that you can see. We need to see. Jesus said to Andrew and the disciples, come and see. We've already heard a reading from Isaiah chapter 6. What happens? The prophet sees the Lord, and then what? He sees the world and says, I will go. So often we are myopic, short-sighted, and parochial, and turned in on ourselves, absorbed with ourselves. It's not that they're wrong. It's just that they're all-consuming obsessions about our family or our work or our holiday or whatever it is. Mary Poppins said, most of us can't see past the end of our noses. And consumerism has made the church introspective. My anointing, my gifting, my ministry, my spirituality. You know, today we go on retreat, well, pre-COVID. We go on retreat, we go on pilgrimage. The early Christians didn't do any of that. They went on mission. They went on mission. Someone not knowing what I was preaching on today sent me a text message out of the blue on Friday. And they just asked this question. They're a priest at a cathedral in another country. Would you, they said, be surprised if I told you that we spent double the amount on priests' vestments this year than we did on mission? 
double the amount on kit for the clerics. I know some of you are thinking I could do with a bit of new kit. But double the amount of money was spent on clothes for priests than was spent on missions. And then he said, we gave less than 1% of our annual budget to missions. Jesus gave his life, and that church gives 1%. And what are we giving? I thank God I'm part of a church that gives 10% to overseas mission, 10% to the poor, and a lot more to home mission. But listen, we, we can do more and we can give more. We sing that hymn, I cannot tell how he will win the nations. Well, I can. What a funny line. I can tell. We go and make disciples of all nations. And if you're not going and you're not telling and you're not making disciples, you're not going to win them. That's what we're to do. And today I believe that God is stirring us. You who are watching this, some of you regular members of St. Aldate's, some of you just happened to tune in through COVID time. Some of you just bumped into this video on YouTube and you think, what on earth is all this about? Listen, God is speaking to you today. And he's saying, what are you going to do about this? He's saying, come to me and see and then go. Years ago, if the band would like to come, years ago, my colleague Mark Brickman had a a vision of me with Jesus. He said, and he prayed about it and prayed, prayed it in for me. He said, I've got a picture of you with Jesus and you're stood together and you're looking out to the horizon together. And I want to encourage you this morning, come to Jesus. See him in all his beauty and glory and majesty and wonder. Oh, he loves you. He is for you. He wants to bless you. Come to him, receive all of that, and then stand beside him and follow the gaze of God, El Roy, the God who sees, and then follow up on following that gaze and go and do something. Cross the road, contact your neighbors, Ask, what, ask God, what does he want you to be involved with? Who does he want you to see? And then act. And whether it's setting up something in your street or for a friendship group or whether it's going to work in a hospital in Tajikistan, God's got a place and a plan and a purpose for you. And it involves the other. It involves seeing them and caring and acting and sharing the good news of Jesus with them.